Hey guys, super quick intro here. Um, Welcome to episode two of the Rethink Movement. Today we're gonna be looking at the how and the why of pain education. The how is in how are we implementing this in the current clinical trial and why are we doing it this way. Uh, But also super quickly, just wanted to touch on uh, something that I thought you know, might clear up a few things and something that I, I hope you guys will appreciate and, and might um, you know, help us to, to kind of provide the content you guys are looking for. It's basically the purpose of this con- uh, podcast. So Adrian and I, you know, we've been talking about doing a podcast for a little while now because you know, we have these, these kind of conversations twice a week and we always thought of the idea, well, you know, we're very like-minded people, um, we're very reflective, we, we have these conversations about the industry and as Adrian beautifully put it in the first podcast, we, uh, we find a lot of solutions for a lot of problems and a lot of problems for a lot of solutions and we thought, you know, why not make a podcast where someone could be, you know, a fly on the wall to our conversation, hopefully learn a thing or two and hopefully question even more than that. Um, you know, so... This podcast isn't really intended to be a super science-y, research-driven podcast where we're going to be reviewing literature and things like that. Um, this is more directed at, you know, let's let's help develop the practitioner. Let's help develop the practitioner's uh, strategies, exercise prescriptions, understanding of how to implement pain education. You know, hopefully an episode like this, you know, might find its way to someone who kind of knows what pain education is. Um, but, you know, maybe is, is unsure how to implement it, maybe has a few reservations, which, you know, essentially is, is the position Adrian was in, um, which he talks about in this podcast before I kind of gave him the breakdown of, of here's how I've written the, the eight-week pain education to be paired with the exercise for the trial. Um, <clears throat> as I'm kind of going to talk to a little bit in this podcast as well, uh, you know, this podcast, we, we haven't done what is pain education. Um, kind of assumed our listeners may have a rudimentary understanding of pain neuroscience Uh, if we're wrong you know please forgive our ignorance and and let us know and we will do that podcast we really want this podcast to be driven to what you guys want to hear us talk about Um, and that's exactly what what we plan to do Um, so yeah without me talking for any longer Let's uh, get into the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to uh, our second podcast, guys. We uh, we've seemed to have made it second week running. Um, Thanks for listening to our listeners last week. Um, We've got some good feedback, some good things that I guess good feedback, things that we need to improve on, and uh, a couple of good. uh, topic recommendations so over the next few weeks we'll try answer everyone's questions and and uh get their topic recommendations and all that uh just like to welcome mitch hey guys good mate how are you good thanks how did you think we went last week uh you know i think i think we we could both agree we definitely got a lot more comfortable towards the end of the podcast um so hopefully this one we kind of pick up from there and it's just a bit more laid back and um, relaxed but overall I think we've got some good content out and you know if it's the worst one we've ever done well that's um, it's probably not a bad thing so always room to improve yeah definitely definitely 
Um, so this week we'll be talking about, um, I guess we touched on pain education in terms of back pain and squatting last week. So this week we're going to talk more on about how we can apply that education in regards to, to pain. Um, I guess not just back pain specifically, but um, just pain in general. Um, so I'll get Mitch to talk about, or introduce that a little bit more as that's his, I guess, prime uh, focus in his study in terms of pain education or specifically the chronic lower back pain, but he'll get, he can give us a better insight into how he goes about his pain education. Cool. Thanks. Um, well, firstly, I think uh, what we chatted about as well previously, so kind of what Adrian said um, we're going to go through more of the application in, in this episode, in today's episode. Um, if we get feedback that people want us to go through, I guess, the, the nuts and bolts of kind of what is pain neuroscience education, then we can do a podcast on that later. Uh, but for the time being, we're not going to go right into that because um, there's already enough podcasts and, and great resources out there to cover that. So, if you do want to hear that on this podcast, though, please let us know and we can, uh, we can sort that out later. Um, but coming back to what Adrian uh, said a second ago in terms of introducing what we're going to be talking about. So today, what we're going to go through is um, kind of the how-to for pain education. So we're going to assume our listeners um, kind of understand what pain education is. Uh, and if they don't, hopefully this kind of gives them a bit more of a reason to be inquisitive and to go ask a few questions, do a little bit of research. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to take you through kind of how we do it in the eight-week study that, that are currently running at Western Sydney Uni. Um, and then we might talk a little bit about uh, at the end of it. But basically, we're going to do it in a way that will show you guys that it is super easy, super applicable, and it isn't this thing that um, you know, needs to be kind of uh, feared in the, in the clinic. Um, so before we go through the how to do it, I think I might just throw a question to Adrian, um, which might be pretty interesting. So Adrian is, um, you know, definitely the, the practitioner uh, out of the two of us. He's got a lot more hours in a clinic than I uh, ever have. So first time kind of, you know, you come into the program, I've given you this pain education, um, I guess, format over eight weeks to implement. Uh, can you just quickly go through what was your, your kind of your gut instinct? What was your first uh, kind of reaction? Was it you know, excited? Was it a bit worried? Was it nervous? And then did that change after uh, doing it and implementing it and seeing, you know, I guess, it, it, you know, what it is and, and how to do it? Um, yeah, so, yeah, when I first saw, like, the layout, over the eight weeks, it was quite interesting to see how we were going to implement the um, the education side of things. Um, obviously, the, the intervention, the exercise intervention side, that's the easy part. It's the uh, the conversations that we were going to have with these people that were going, uh, I guess, in some form of pain for some people for long periods of time, for a lot of their life in, in some instances. So... Um, it was interesting to see how we we're going to break down this, uh, I guess, their their thoughts and theories on what was going on and the sort of 
the influence that other practitioners have had on him over the years. Obviously, these people have been in pain for a number of years, and at some point in time, these people had seen a practitioner being a medical practitioner in terms of their GP or other forms of allied health practitioners, uh, physios, chiros, uh, other EPs. So to see how we were going to, I guess, change their thoughts on what was going on with them and then break down the ideas of people that are quite highly regarded in, in the health industry was going to be an interesting task. Um, I guess in terms of my practice before doing this program with Mitch, um, it was, I guess I touched on it, but never fully explored the theories behind it in terms of practice. So to actually see, see it broken down and see a, a natural progression from, from the start, from the first week to the eighth week was quite interesting without overloading, overloading them. Obviously, in practice, you only get an hour consultation with these people. So to put eight weeks worth of um, information into one hour is quite uh, overwhelming for a lot of people. When they're already quite overwhelmed with their their um, in their pain or um, throughout their daily life, so um, it's good to see like a, a real basic breakdown, and, and it's quite um, helpful in terms of implementing implementing that in practice now. So um, yeah, so I'll give you back to Mitch. Yeah, um, awesome. I, I think that was a. That was a really cool uh, explanation. Um, I think, so let's get into, I guess, the how and, and a little bit of the why it's designed this way. Um, first of all, I get on, if I get on too much of a rant here, feel free to tell me to shut up, Adrian. Um, yeah. But the reason I designed it this way was two, two main reasons. So fundamentally, as Adrian said, it is over eight weeks and giving people this amount of information in a one hour consult is just too much. And in reality, we know that from pedagogy research and we know that from how people learn and understand that if we just throw an entirety of uh, you know, complex information at you, you're gonna retain uh, quite a small percentage of it. Whereas if we break it down into you know, bite-sized uh, packets of information that we can give you each week and the builds, then eight weeks later, you're gonna have a pretty reasonable understanding of, of what's going on. The, re the other reason I, I did it like this, and this is um, the reason that I'll, I'll do my very best not to go on a rant on, and anyone who has, on, has me on Instagram has probably seen this rant before, but we are exercise-based practitioners. We are not psychologists, we are not counselors, we are not anything on that spectrum. Our practice and our uh, you know, everything we do needs to stay in the realm of exercise. It needs to be centered around the exercise. So rather than do what uh, countless papers and, and research studies have done before me, which is let's have a very disjointed approach to, you know, let's tell someone to exercise and then let's uh, sit them down and, and talk about, you know, pain education. And a lot of time, you know, potentially push the barrier to psychology. Uh, and that's done massively in clinical practice, which, you know, we can, we can always do an entire podcast in and of itself talking about uh, why that might be not the best place to go for people 
like us who are exercise practitioners who don't have formal training in psychology because we're just not prepared for what's going to come out if we're being honest um, and anyone listening to this who, who is a trainer who is an EP who is a physio uh, who's basically worked with another human being you've probably already been told things that you don't know how to deal with without formally asking questions uh, so why would we want to formally ask them when it's not our position and we're not trained but anyway, that's the end of my little uh, non-rant rant or attempt to not rant. Um, do, you, do you have anything you want to add to that before we, we get into the kind of the breakdown of the eight weeks? I was just, yeah, to sort of reiterate what you're saying. Like, yeah, our, first and foremost, our, our position as exercise practitioners is the exercise treatment. And obviously with that comes these conversations that are going to occur. So... Um, yeah, it's important not to go delve too deep into and getting caught, I guess, down that, that rabbit hole of where we still have start playing psychologists. It's quite, uh, it, it can happen quite easily. And I guess we've both been close to that uh, in the past. And we've just got to realize when we sort of, obviously we build these relationships with, with clients and patients. So they feel like they can tell us anything, but it gets to the point where some information has to be sort of, if we can see where it's heading, we've got to sort of stop them there and sort of get get them talking to the most appropriate people. Um, I guess we can identify certain things and we can identify when the conversation is heading a certain way. And that's where we can sort of refer on to um, sort of give them a bit of guidance into who they should see uh, is probably the most important thing in, in I guess, pain education. You've got to think these people are, in some instances, this program, their lives were depending on it. And to see some of the changes they got and the benefits they got from it was, it was amazing. So if this wasn't, if uh, it got to the point where they were relying on it and they weren't feeling the benefit, we don't know where it could, where it could end up. So it's important to sort of, yeah, explain to them and identify where we feel like they need to go see someone further. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll go more into sort of what, how we can apply this practically in terms of how we can apply the education practically. Um, so as Mitch said, it's, it's broken down into little packets of information. So um, you've got to think people are coming in to exercise. It could be the first time they're exercising or first time they're exercising in this sort of pain. We don't want to overload them with that, that information. So... So breaking it down and explaining, first of all, what's going on with them and then explaining how and what, well, explaining to them what is pain. I guess a lot of people get sort of confused and I guess there's a lot of misinformation there around in terms of what is pain and what is uh, a chronic pain uh, in, in, in particular. So uh, I guess we've touched, I've touched on it in, in uni and all that, but when I sort of speaking to Mitch about um, this program, he was saying how a lot of people don't realize that chronic pain or the chronicity of pain is um, actually has a, a numeric value in terms of how long it's been been around. We tend to think chronic pain as uh, sort of how bad it is, but we it's actually uh, uh, time specific. So with chronic pain, uh, it's actually greater than three months or greater so pain having pain symptoms over a three month or greater period so we tend to a lot of our participants pop in and 
they're like, oh, I'm in chronic pain. It's really bad. Like, okay, let's sort of educate them about what is chronic pain, first of all, and then what is pain. And then they realize, oh, I, I am, I still have chronic pain, but it's not actually a 10 out of 10 as such. It's, it's uh, sort of divvied out over time and it might be five, five or six out of 10 over, it's been five or six out of 10 over a long period of time. Uh, I'll get Mitch to go into that a little bit deeper. Okay. All right, guys. So one minor technical difficulty, but hopefully it doesn't affect the podcast when we stitch it all together. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the really cool point Adrian just brought up was was talking about what chronic pain really is. And that's really going to come down to uh, the pain education side of things, which we're going to go through uh, the format uh, like I said, I know we keep alluding to it, so I'll kind of uh, have this little little sidebar and then we'll, we'll get into the weeks one through eight, how and, and why. Um, and, and this will make sense in a second why I'm going to have this sidebar first. I actually only said to a, a participant today, I had a research participant in today, uh, we're in week uh, four of the program, which is a really big week. Um, if on, like To be honest, for me, it's probably one of the biggest weeks. Um, and... I said to the person, the, the biggest thing I want the person to realize out of this program is that pain doesn't equal damage and vice versa. Um, and we really go through explaining, explaining that. And I think to me, that's one of the most empowering things about pain education is to teach someone that just because they have pain uh, doesn't mean they have damage. So when their pain goes up, it doesn't mean they've done something monu- uh, monumentally bad. Uh, and there's no need to go down the, you know, I kind of term it the oh shit rabbit hole. Um, and so we, without kind of dwelling on that for too much longer, because like I said, we are, we're going to assume our audience has a base knowledge of, of pain neuroscience. And like I said, if you don't, please give us the feedback uh, so we can listen to you guys, who are, you know, our listeners, uh, and we can, um, you know, direct our content straight to you, which is essentially what we want to do. Um, so week one. Week one, we essentially go through uh, the nuts and bolts of what is pain education. And we do this in a way that is, is done by a lot of practitioners I know. Uh, and there's a reason I, I chose to do it this way as well. We literally play people the 15-minute uh, TED Talk by Professor Laura Mosley. Uh, I really, to be quite honest with you, another reason I do that and I find it, it can help is uh, it also adds a layer of credibility, so to speak. Um, you know, there's not just some guy in front of them saying some stuff. Like it's a, it's a big platform. Um, you know, with a professor. I mean, you know, for anyone who knows me, I'm I'm constantly in, in Reebok shorts and a basketball jersey or a t-shirt. So I'm not the most professional dude in the world. So if I just start, you know, confronting all these beliefs of people, there can be resistance. Um, you know, not not that. There ever has been. Oh, there definitely has been, but not to the point of I don't believe you because you're not qualified. Um, but we designed this research to be generalizable, so we did this in a way that it does add that layer of credibility, um, so to speak. And you know, as I'm talking this through this, I'm, I'm also even questioning if we even have to do it that way. Uh, but for any of you, uh, you guys who understand the research process, you'd understand that we can't really change it once we've started. Um, so that's week one. We literally show them the video. And for any of the listeners who haven't uh, seen that, uh, please do yourself a favor and spend 15 minutes of your afternoon watching that this afternoon. 
Uh, self-plug, I've also got a TED Talk up there as well. So um, if you want, go hard and uh, Google my name as well. Um, so week two, yeah, no, nah, probably listen to Adrian. It's pretty, it's pretty crap. <laughs> uh, so let, let's break it down week by week. So that's week one. Uh, I'll throw it back to Adrian in, in a second for, for his comment on this. But basically, it's it's watch the video and then open forum. Do you have any questions? Uh, and for the question purpose, we just reword the content, essentially. If they ask a question, we go, okay, well, when he said this, think of it this way. Uh, and as you guys will see as we talk uh, along, even if we don't go through it exactly, one of the biggest parts to this and the biggest parts of how we use the education is through creating uh, analogies and parallels with everyday life. Adrian, in that first session, when you've shown that video, have you got any um, questions or like anything that stands out, like any feedback, any questions, any pushback, anything that stands out? Uh, I had a couple of uh, aha moments. Yeah. You could call them that, where they're like, ah, that makes sense. That's, uh, which is really interesting. Because they're like, ah, it makes sense. It's like, they're like thinking that they've sort of understood what's occurring now from, I guess it's a basic sort of simplistic way of um, sort of explaining the neuroscience behind it. But a lot of them have realized like, ah, so like, this is what pain is. Pain doesn't mean I've got an injury. Pain means uh, that my my system is really overactive in terms of uh, um, what yeah, it's, it's sensing, detecting a threat. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly right. As uh, yes, Professor Mosley refers to, and it's quite interesting. So a lot of them were like, oh, so like I don't have any like damage in that wall. Not if you're in some sort of chronic pain, and and most of the participants that have come through are do have to meet that criteria of chronic pain, um, and a lot of them. And then I had a couple of questions where I was like, oh, what if some? So the, does that mean if someone falls off a building and breaks their back, that doesn't mean there's damage? I'm like, well, not not exactly, because that's an acute example, and it's uh, totally different to what we're sort of talking about. But I guess in a roundabout way, it may not be. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess nine times out of ten, someone's someone's fallen off a building there. Yeah. They've done a bit of damage. So um, I guess you have to sort of shut down those sorts of thoughts that they're feeling, uh, thinking, because then people just think they're indestructible. Um, so it, you always have to bring it back to this is for chronic pain. This is the example of chronic pain. Yes, it can sort of apply to the acute side of things, but in, we're specifically talking about chronic pain and and in terms of their case specifically so it's just yeah sort of keeping them on the right track was um it wasn't interesting because then they've got all these sorts of questions and you've got to sort of pick and choose and break down certain yeah. ones and sort of deflect other ones so um but yeah I, I thought it was interesting yeah with a guy i felt like he couldn't feel pain if he fell off a building or had an accident yeah something like that he was a he was a builder, so he's probably seen people yeah. put their backs multiple times or hurt themselves multiple times. So he was just yeah trying to he just wanted to clarify. It. I'm like no no no, it's this is specifically chronic pain, um, acute sort of a different kind yeah, of issue. I think yes. um, the 
the, the other thing that's really cool to do there is because I've had a lot of similar questions um, is to, to kind of take exactly what you're saying and then also add the layer on. And although even in situations of damage, I always use if you got stabbed, um, these same pathways still occur. You know, if, if you if someone put a knife into you, that's right. It still goes to the brain to be processed first. Uh, that happens faster than we can consciously yep. comprehend, uh, but it still happens nonetheless. Uh, and I think that those questions are really cool because it allows us to elaborate. Um, now, so that's week one, and um, as Adrian's pointed out, like week one, just showing a video in and of itself can open up opportunity for such cool uh, communication. Week two and three, I'll deal with uh, together because they kind of run off each other. Now, just before I do this as well, I'm just going to preface with one of the major limitations to running a research study is everything I'm telling you right now is 100% a general program given to everyone. We cannot individualize this education in any way, shape or form uh, because that's just not valid. So. If I've got someone coming through and I've had this, I've had practitioners in the study. Um, I've had people who um, have this knowledge uh, and I'm not able to kind of advance it or regress it for someone who may have nothing. And this is the reality is, is this works. This is a really good way uh, to show that it works, but it's also really cool to show that, imagine what you could do if you could individualize it that bit more, um, you know, and you could then therefore tailor it a lot more to the exercise. For example, to run off last week's back squats and back pain, you know, we said like, oh, if you fear squats uh, and squats happen to be in our program, that's really cool. But, you know, what if you fear, you know, what if you, you hurt your back falling off a mountain bike and you fear hopping back on the bike? Then my exercise program for you is going to be a series of, uh, you know, graded exposure to get you back on a bike if that's what you want to do. Um, and that's where this education side can really be tailored to, to fit it as well. Um, so week two and three. So week two, uh, I, I basically it's adding context. It's let's take what, what the, the principles of pain education and pain neuroscience education and let's take them and put them into context. Let's make them relatable and let's put them into an everyday human context. And we do that through the use of analogies. Um, I'm not going to go into specific analogies in this podcast. Once again, if you guys want us to go through what analogies we use and, and how we actually communicate pain education, then please let us know. We'll, we would love to do that. We might do that one day anyway, um, but today we're just going to do an application-based podcast. Uh, so week two is let's let's create some analogies and let's talk about uh, the brain, the nervous system, pain, uh, nociception. Let's talk about all these elements that are uh, integral to pain education in a very relatable, uh, humanized uh, analogy. Yeah, it definitely works in that in that regard. We don't we don't want to yeah throw all this jargon at them because a lot of the time it's. It just goes straight over their head. So if we can bring it back to like a real world example or like, like Mitch said, humanize the experience that they're feeling, um, it really, they seem to, well, they really do uh, um, really get to understand that. And I guess we, we continue and branch off those, uh, a lot of the stuff from weeks two um, over the next couple of weeks and just sort of expand on those ideas. 
Which yeah. Really cool. So the when I was uh, designing the um, the education and how I wanted it to run, I I wanted it to be forever building and forever coming back to the one analogy. So we've got one main analogy that we use the entire eight weeks through. Uh, and we have other little ones built in there as, as kind of those, you know, golden nuggets and hopefully leading people to a few aha moments. Um, and you know what? Like coming to the end of this, I've learned a ton uh, of different ones that, that I now love more than some of the original ones because, you know, maybe there was an analogy that this person didn't understand. So I've had to reword it. And then within rewording it, I figured out, oh, wow, actually, this is a really cool parallel. Um, Anyway, I'm getting way off topic. Um, so week two. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Were you yeah. going to say something? I was going to say, well, this, this is the biggest thing about practice is we got to, I guess, in terms of the study, it's very hard to individualize it. But when we come into the real world and to practice, we got to find ways of getting our message across in a number of different ways. And like as a practitioner and practicing for a few years now, um, and also yourself, um, you, t- you find and you learn, you don't learn these sort of things in uni or it's just, yeah, day by day you'll learn, okay, well, this this person didn't really understand this. How can I find a way of getting them? It could be, I guess there's a number of different ways you can do it, mm. um, but it, it's just really interesting to show. And like you said, you've come up with your, I guess you've branched off those and, and, and original analogies and you've sort of made up your own and I did the same thing. So it's really interesting to see how that happens, depending on the on the person that we've had, or the person yeah, that we've sure. seen. So, um, thought I'd just interrupt and just yeah, throw it back to like real world situations where, yeah, every day is a different day, and every person's understanding and, yeah. and their learning. Um, I guess we, we we are educating these people, so we got to remember everyone learns in a different way. There's no sort of concrete way of doing these things yeah awesome and i think um i think that's going to actually come back to what i'm about to introduce which is at the end of week two we give them their first reflection question and essentially what adrian's talking to is being reflective of a practitioner as well you know getting to the end of each day and reflecting on how could i have done that better you know how could i have framed this better for this person because i really don't think they took away what i wanted them to take away um and so at the end of week two we give the patient uh, a reflection question and that reflection question is simply to uh, I use the two-point rule um, if your pain goes up by two points uh, you know we're talking on a scale of one to ten stop take a breath and ask you know what what's the message behind this pain or, or why is protection needed because at this point we've taught the person that pain equals protect pain doesn't equal harm Um, And we add two more reflection questions in week four and reflection becomes a really big part of uh, this entire experience that we're we're trying to provide the person and the tools, I guess, putting the the person's toolbox. Um, I said I was going to group week three in there and week three is, is kind of building again on week two. We're adding more context. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> just trying to hold that one in <laughs> continue oh man I'm not I'm not editing you can that edit that one this out. is all going in that was awesome it's great oh, um, okay. I'm going to give you a lot of shit for that <laughs> um, anyway week three 
week three is another week of, of kind of building and applying, um, using some more analogies and basically taking these analogies and putting them into different situations and different contexts. Uh, week three, we start to talk a lot about confidence and how we approach something. Uh, and we also start to break down uh, beliefs, I'd put it, in terms of society has these beliefs that backs are frail, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in week three, we kind of just tell the person, we, we don't break them down, sorry, that comes next week, but we tell the person, uh, we acknowledge that they're there and we acknowledge to the person that these can have an impact. Week three, we really talk about stress uh, and we talk about, we don't completely understand the link between stress and pain, but we know it's there. Uh, we know when you're in a period of stress, pain goes up. Um, and basically, we, we teach the person essentially the psychosocial side of the biopsychosocial model. We, we teach them, you know, week one and two, we're teaching them uh, essentially bio, we're teaching them physiology, uh, neurophysiology. Uh, and week three, we're going, hey, the psychosocial influences the bio big time. Uh, and we, we give them a grasp on that. Uh, are you happy to roll straight through to, to four and five or do you want to add something there? Uh, right, no, we'll straight to four um, Week four and five, uh, the extra two reflection questions come in week four and I'll, I'll go through what those are in a sec. Week four is uh, beliefs about the back and week five is beliefs about exercise. Week four, we go through basically breaking down um, the societal beliefs uh, around the back. Uh, we talk about MRIs, scans. We talk about the need for, you know, work, uh, you know, buzzwords such as stability. Uh, we talk about strength and we really define what damage is. Uh, and for anyone listening who's interested, damage is exceeding a tissue's capacity to tolerate load. So if we cause tissue damage 100% of the time, um, that's what it is. And we really talk about that. And then we throw it back to the person and say, well, look, if you can squat 100 kilos uh, and you feel a bit of pain when you stand up off the couch, is there any way in any universe you could squat 100 kilos, you're that strong, your tissues have that capacity that you could have legitimately caused tissue damage standing up with your own body weight? Uh, and, and that person realizes the answer is no. Uh, and so from there, the two reflection questions come, which the second is, I call it the normal, normal person test, which is, would someone without a history of back pain uh, experience what I'm experiencing, uh, which is there to kind of sort out the normal everyday tasks. Like if you've been out, you know, if you've um, been out in the garden weeding for eight and a half hours straight and you come inside, sit down, have a beer and you go, man, my back is sore. Uh, no shit. Um, and the third question is, is this really enough to cause damage? And that's really going to be that, that question of, well, my pain went up, but is this really going to be able to, you know, be something that's going to cause me damage? Well, I was picking up uh, my handbag. No, my handbag weighs 500 grams and I can deadlift 60 kilos. I'm sweet. Um, and it's really just drumming home that message that pain doesn't equal damage. Now, before we go into week five, the reason for the reflection questions, there's two, two real key reasons. One is to develop that understanding and empower self-management. And the second is 
if anyone's read the book uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, uh, I believe it's a must read for everybody. Both Adrian and I have read it multiple times and discussed it uh, probably too much. Um, but basically, when we go down, I, I termed it before the oh shit rabbit hole, we're pretty much going to an emotional um, state of mind or system one thinking. Basically, we want to get the person back to a logical frame of mind or system two thinking. These reflection questions are basically the difference between someone's pain going up, going down the oh shit rabbit hole and pain amplifying uh, and someone's pain going up and staying logical and managing it. So the way I explain it to someone is, you know, you're not going to ask three reflection questions and, you know, let's say your pain goes from a three to a six. You ask these questions, your pain doesn't go down to a zero. But let's say, you know, you don't ask these questions, you go down the oh shit rabbit hole, that amplifies a six to an eight. Whereas if you stay logical, you, you ask these reflection questions, you keep it at a six, and potentially you might even go down to a four or a five. Uh, this is pain management. This isn't the be all end all cure of, you know, I'm not saying, hey, next time you have pain, don't. Um, yeah, I wish I could, but it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Uh, do you want to add anything there before no, we talk right. about it's... exercise and then wrap up uh, the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I guess it's just, uh, it's more about, like you said, it's managing this and understanding and like it might take a few weeks to sort of understand what's going on, particularly if it's a reoccurring, I guess if it's chronic pain, like you said, if it's reoccurring and just continuing to understand and reinforcing like this is what's going on, this is what's happening. And I guess we've seen it within the study where the first maybe three, four, five weeks, this person's coming in like, oh, I've got this little niggle, I've got this going on, I've got that going on in my back, I wasn't able to do this, this and this. And then by week eight, they've sort of realized, well, they haven't really talked about it, they've realized that, okay, it's actually not as bad as, as I thought it was. And they've sort of, they understood exactly what's going on or have a better understanding about what's going on and they're able to manage that accordingly. Um, I think that's what I saw quite a bit over that period of time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think the, the other really cool thing that we never explicitly um, we never explicitly uh, say in the program, uh, but is really cool, is we never explicitly tell people that this applies to everywhere in the body. Uh, we never explicitly say that it's only for the back. But by the end, I've had a lot of people coming in, you know, with... Uh, you know, believing they've had a dodgy knee or a niggly shoulder or whatever it might be, uh, applied these same strategies and concepts and they're better managing uh, other areas of the body. So this really is translational. And I think that's just a really interesting point to throw in there. Um, but I'll, I'll uh, just quickly expand on week five and then six uh, kind of stands on its own and seven and eight uh, really go together again. Um Week five is exercise and back pain. Uh, and basically, we rip apart the current paradigm of exercise and pretty much say, you know, everyone tells you that exercise is for corrective or the all-elusive core or any of these things. Uh, and we pretty much rip it apart and say, well, well no, that's not the case. Uh, and here's why. Uh, and when we think of pain neuroscience, pain education, when we think of how complex pain is, we think that pain is modulation of the nervous system. We think that pain is influenced by stress, emotion, thoughts, uh, context. Uh, would it really make sense that, that doing a couple of uh, quadrupeds is going to fix it? 
Uh, probably not. Uh, and we really lead the person there to make that own conclusion before we spell it out to them as well. Now, week six, uh, I didn't mention that we do this in week one, but in week one, we take a video of the person doing three squats and three bends, just as if they're hinging, picking something up. Uh, and then we take these videos again in week six and we show them to the person side by side. Um, and this is to instill a sense yep. of uh, task mastery. Um, and I'm just going to quickly say why, and then I'm going to get Adrian to say what he saw. Um, and what I might get you to do for a bit of continuity is, can you talk about what you saw, but in relation to the gentleman you referred to in last week's podcast? Um, but I'll just quickly say yep. why, and then I'll get Adrian to do that, and then I'll wrap up with seven and eight, um, because I, I know anyone listening is probably sick of uh, both our voices by now. Definitely mine, anyway. Adrian has the voice of an angel, but that's another story for another time. Um, <laughs> so the reason why is task mastery is one of um, one of the things that we know really influences self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is someone's belief uh, that they can accomplish something or they can do something, they can carry out a task. So when we instill a sense of task mastery, we increase the person's self-efficacy. And from a lot of research, um, and I'm going to uh, record an intro to this podcast so you guys would have already heard it. Um, but basically there's a reason I'm not getting into, let's talk about citations and names and, you know, this paper by this person in this year. Um, so you guys know that by now, but for me, it's a bit funny because I haven't recorded it yet. So it's kind of me talking to myself in the future, which is weird. Um, but I'm going to stop tripping out and finish what I was saying. <laughs> so we know that self-efficacy, um, D will increases, uh, clinical outcomes. So it makes people better. We know that people with higher self-efficacy are going to have lower pain and pain-related disability. So self-efficacy is this really important mediator in terms of um, pain and pain-related disability and clinical outcomes. So that's why we really try and influence it. So task mastery is how we do that. And so I'm going to throw to Adrian to quickly talk about uh, the gentleman he referred to last week and what he saw when he took his week one video. And if you remember what Adrian said last week, this was a guy that come into the gym, stiff as a board, couldn't move, very ingrained beliefs, like yep. was walking around like, um, you know, it was, it was like stiff as a board is the only way I can explain it. Uh, showed him a video of him attempting to squat and bend in week one. And then six weeks later, uh, at this point, I'm going to estimate he would have been uh, box squatting around the 90 kilo mark, potentially 100, and rack pulling well over 100 kilos at this point. So there's a massive change, and we've just taken that change and objectively showed it to this man. Um, and Adrian, what did you see? Yeah, so like not only did he see his numbers going up in terms of the weight he was lifting, but um, as I took the recording, I was like, like this is like a totally different person. I And then I had to go back and, and like, I was shocked. And then once I showed him the, uh, the before and after, it was just his face lit up. It's like, he's like, he couldn't believe how, how much he had improved and he didn't realize how bad he was or how, how bad his movement was before that. Um, and just to see him be able to get to like a, be able to sort of move freely, um, so not only do you see the movement moving around a lot freer, he's able to do a, a pretty much a full, I guess the parallel squat. He's quite a big guy, um, tall guy. So he went to about parallel where before he probably was only a squ quarter squat. 
but then to see the the reaction and the emotion on the face while he was squatting. So in the first week, he's quite serious, quite thoughtful in his um in his squat and his movement or both movements, sorry, and the thought and the it was like he was trying to. It was almost like he was fighting himself to squat. It was it's quite interesting to see, and then. To be able to go, oh, I can do this quite easily. I can do this with 100 kilos on my back. So body weight squat should be fine. And he's doing it with a smile on his face, not a care in the world, up and down freely. And just to see the change in just a six-week period was just amazing. And just the, obviously the emotional side of things, I mean, we touch back to the biopsychosocial, like not, not just physically you could see the, the change, but the emotional side you could see, uh, which was quite interesting, a psychological change. Um, and that was just, yeah, com- yeah, through a combination of the, the education and I guess the, uh, the, uh, the physical, uh, or the exercise intervention side of Awesome. Um, yeah. What Adrian said is, is really cool because for one key reason, uh, this conversation about task mastery, uh, that week six, it's led by the participant. So we don't sit there and go, we saw this, 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 and this. It's not a biomechanical breakdown of their squat. It's his video one, his video two. Uh, what do you reckon? And for me, and I know Adrian's going to say the same thing because uh, he kind of already just said it, but, you know, yeah, okay, the person might start with, you know, oh, wow, my squat's better, it's deeper, whatever. But the main point, um, funnily enough, is they're always saying something around like, wow, that first video, look how scared I was or look how much apprehension I had. Um, yeah. You know, so they're acknowledging these, um, you know, kinesophobia, fear of movement, Um that's existing and the absence of that, um, you know, down the track, which is something that I, I honestly, I didn't know would happen. I really hoped, uh, but I didn't know it would happen. And for a tiny bit of sidebar context as well, uh, I've had uh, about three or four people. I know it's not a huge amount, uh, actually probably more, closer to 10 now that I think of it, in the study that are at minimum... Uh, 1.5 bodyweight squatters, uh, a couple of them double bodyweight and a couple beyond that. And they've still had this same revelation. So I've had someone who's coming in week one who can already squat double bodyweight, film them doing a squat. Six weeks later, they're commenting on how much better they are. And I'm not doing any technique work whatsoever. Um, so just let that sink in and um, you know, you'll understand just how big that is of an accomplishment for that individual. Um, so that's week six, week seven and eight. Week seven is basically we get the person to create their own toolbox. So we get a person, we give a person essentially a sheet of lined paper um, and we say, can you just write down if your pain goes up, if you have a flare up, if you experience a bad patch where, you know, things have been good for a while and you just have a, have a flare up, things are no good. What are you going to do? What are your strategies? And we get them to draw on the education that we've given them, the strategies that we've helped them with and strategies they've, they've tried uh, along the way. And that's really directed by the person. And week eight directly flows off this because in week eight, we give them a toolbox uh, that I've designed or an action plan, I call it, uh, to cover all bases. So we get them to, to write their toolbox in their word because it's applicable to them. And then we give them uh, the toolbox that, that we've created based on the research and our understanding um, you know, because it kind of covers all bases. And in our toolbox, uh, there's three things. There's be reflective and use our questions, the three questions we just went over. Why is protection needed? 
uh, or what does this pain mean? Second question, the normal person test, would someone without, uh, with a history of back pain feel the same? And the third question, uh, is this really enough to cause damage? The second thing we suggest uh, is exercise. Uh, in time of a flare-up, keep moving. Movement helps. Motion is lotion. Um, and in a more general sense of exercise, to always uh, enjoy it, make it fun, stick to it, and pick something that might worry them a little bit and always work towards it and move towards it. Uh, and the final thing on our suggested tech list is stress and emotional management. Uh, and we give numbers of services to contact if people are experiencing uh, you know, times of, of stress or you know, need some, some extra help, because as we talked about before, not our area. Um, and you know, because we formally acknowledge throughout the program the role that stress uh, plays, uh, so if you get to the point, if the patient gets to the point where, you know, pain's gone up, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and then they go, well, hang on, you know, I'm really stressed at the moment. This is happening with the family. I've got these deadlines for work. You know, I'm not in a good place. Maybe I should address that. Uh, and that's why we, we put that in there as well. Um, and to be quite honest, and, I, and I'm not saying this to, you know, as a, as a humble brag or anything like that, I'm just legitimately being honest. Um, I'd say nine, maybe eight out of 10, nine out of 10 people have offered, uh, or asked, uh, in one or two cases begged to pay me to continue coming to the university each week to continue these sessions and to continue learning from me. Um, and I know that's the case for, for Adrian and another one of my assistants as well, because we've had these conversations, um, you know, which is, which is really cool. Obviously, we have to say no because this is a research study and that's extremely unethical. Um, but it's just awesome to know that not only are people getting better, uh, and we have the data. We've already got the data. People are ridiculously better yeah. by the end of this eight weeks. Now, we're following them for 12 months to see if they're still better in a year's time because that's, as researchers, that's what I'm really interested in. Um, can we maintain these, uh, these outcomes? And... You know, to kind of, I'll, I'll wrap this podcast up with this and then I'll see if Adrian wants to say any more. Uh, but all this comes down to, if you haven't pieced it together, we're giving the person the tools for self-management so that we're giving them the best chance That's that right. for these 12-month follow-ups, they're going to be in a good position in 12 months because we've given them the tools to, to manage themselves. We haven't created reliance on us. Uh, and that's why I designed this study and that's what I'm passionate about uh, as a practitioner and as a researcher. Um, and that's really the, the why of why I, I think pain education is an absolute uh, non-negotiable, uh, probably the only non-negotiable uh, in chronic pain. Um, Adrian, I'll, I'll throw over to you to wrap up, but that's it from, uh, from, from me. Yeah, I'd just like to, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's just, yeah, we're providing these people with the tools. Um, I guess by providing them with these tools, they are able to, to sort of regulate what's going on in their lives um, in terms of their or in terms of their pain. Um, by doing this, it's it's setting them up for a, a longer or hopefully, I guess it'll be interesting to see what the follow up is. But um, we're giving them the tools for life um, and for a better um, quality of life, I guess. So if we can do that in eight weeks. Um, imagine what we could do with them if we saw them for three months, six months, or 12, 12 months, just able to implement something like this for 12 months. Like what, what, what are the outcomes there? Is, are they never going to 
have this chronic pain again or specifically to what they've been having? Um, are we able to apply it to other parts of the body? Like, it's it's quite interesting to see what we can do with this. Um, but like you said, the most important thing is if we're providing them with these tools and if we can provide them with these tools and keep them out of having to go seek treatment all the time, keep them out of having to to be uh, not like a burden on the, the healthcare system, but allow people with more, I guess, allow others that may have more acute uh, issues able to get the treatment they need. And we're providing these tools for these people um, to still have those, um, I guess, successful outcomes. Um, I feel like it's it's quite quite a quite an interesting time moving forward if we if this can be successful. So, um, like I said, I think it's more important getting these people to yeah have the tools to self manage their, their their chronic pain, um, like you said. But um, I think we'll leave it at that for today. Um, we probably went a little bit over time, but uh, I guess it's quite in-depth what we're doing and we've sort of summarised it as briefly as we can. Um, so hopefully we can get this out as soon as possible and we'll, uh, we'll be interested to hear, hear back. If you guys have any questions in regards to Mitch's study or anything in terms of uh, what, we do, what we can do practically in terms of the pain education, you shoot us a... Uh, uh, either a, a message on Instagram or uh, uh, I think in terms of the website, we've probably still a couple of weeks away from getting that live. So once that's up and running, we can get oh, we, we've got we've got an email sort of stuff. But um, yeah, so I think the email oh, is yeah. attached to this podcast, but the email is um, at the moment. Uh, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a cheap ass, so I only paid for one. So it's Mitch at RethinkMovement.com.au. Um, when, when Adrian uh, when Adrian pays for his, there'll be an Adrian <laughs> rethink movement. Um, oh. No, no, that's that's a conversation for off air. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, at MitchGibbs.aes, uh, at Rethink.mvmnt, and Adrian can throw you his, and that's it from me. That's it. Thanks, guys. And we'll uh, see what, you next week. Or hear, oh, your, you'll hear from us next week. I keep forgetting about that. I haven't done anything on it yet. Uh, so it's A Calderola underscore AEP. Um, there's not much on there at the moment. Like I said, I've got to work on it. Um, I'm not really a fan of the social media things. I don't like putting myself out there too much. So it's already uh, <laughs> enough for me but I'll uh, I'll keep working on it it's, it'll be the aim by the end of the year to get that up and running a bit better so but um, we'll end it at that alright thank you bye bye done